Welcome to the Texas Law Dog Podcast, where we will get you off, literally and legally. Your weekly true crime podcast from the criminal defense lawyer's perspective. Join the Texas Law Dog and co-host Akash as they venture into the nitty-gritty of the criminal justice system and explore how there may be practicable solutions to cleaning it up. Any and all content produced should not be construed as formal legal advice, used for educational, marketing, and solicitation purposes only. Some information may be factual. All guests have agreed to use their real names and likenesses. All views and opinions expressed by the Texas Law Dog reflect the opinions of Texas Law Dog LLC only and should not be construed as formal or informal legal advice by a practicing attorney. The Texas Law Dog will not get you off, literally or legally, despite what he may claim. Welcome back, boys and girls. Episode 7, the man behind the curtain is with me today. Hey, hello. How are you guys? <laughs> Hey, are you still putting up the screen where it says advertise here when you talk? Um, well, I actually remembered to pin you this time. So, um, ah, very yeah. nice. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. People, people are more interested in you. I want to start the podcast off by you describing your life. <laughs> Everyone's very interested in Akash, but I must say, oh, we should probably tell them like we're going to have another producer coming on soon. Absolutely, guys. Yeah, we have uh, we hired our first intern. So, <laughs> we got a pledge. Time for some initiation, baby. Yeah. Uh, wait, were you in a fraternity in college? I was, but uh, <laughs> oh, for, what were briefly, you? Briefly, while I was at A and M, and then I was like, I didn't get the fuck out of this school. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. May I have another? Yeah. Oh, that's good, man. Yeah, I was too. It was. Um, I was luckily in a good one. Like it wasn't the hazing was more like mental manipulation. It wasn't physical or alcohol. So like it was truly just a mind fuck. And uh, I appreciated that because my pledge trainer is also a lawyer <laughs> or he became one anyway after he went to uh, law school. And um, man, that was wild times, man. <laughs> what's the wait? What's the craziest thing you had to do? Uh, that you could talk about. Yeah, that's what I, I bro. It, it, there was just a, like they they hazed us with it was pretty unconventional bro like the uh whenever i mean it was there was all they, we had to memorize a lot of stuff like history about fraternity related history and stuff and then in terms of like punishment for not knowing the things like they were the obvious like you know the push-ups pull up i mean push -ups, I, you didn't know the pledge book they literally came in one day and they were like they ripped up our test after we failed them because they're impossible to pass and then they're like you have to rewrite the entire pledge book on toilet paper <laughs> yeah no it was it just was... stupid shit like that i mean that was so good Dude, for like an 18 year old just to like oh wait i'm already conquering college and i have to deal with this like mental manipulation <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it was an it's an accidental thing, bro, but like nothing brings people together more than common suffering. You know what I'm saying? Oh, so, for sure. Like so my like, like my best friends in life still are the my pledge brothers. Exactly. So I don't I'm like I'm a huge everyone's like, oh so stupid pledge, blah blah, blah but like Dude, like stuff like that, like um, Hell Week and like the military. Oh, no, dude, man. It, like, it, it, I, I went into like pledge ship as a wad of cookie dough and I came out a man, dude. <laughs> like they literally, I mean, like, like I encourage it. I'll encourage my kid to do it just for the fact that it gives you a ton of connections. And like, it was, uh, we didn't even have houses, right? Like it was like, we, I, uh, the school I went to doesn't even have fraternity houses. So it was more or less just like you partied, um, you know, all around the city at different, like older guys' houses. So it actually made it way easier for a liability perspective. <laughs> and, and our dues weren't that expensive either. Nice. But anyway, yeah. Um, 
That's a good point because uh, speaking of fraternities, what's the biggest fraternity? Isn't it police? The police, yeah. <laughs> what a great transition. I mean, man, yeah. that was fantastic. Did you, did you come up with that on the spot? I mean, I, I'm pretty ingenuitive. <laughs> I'm a trial lawyer. I have to be pretty fucking crafty on my feet. Come on. <laughs> um, yeah, man. So today we're actually going to run through uh, a complete I just want to do a full law day. We're going to do white collar, hopefully next week. Hopefully I'm having my uh, buddy on. Uh, he's been extremely busy, um, which is good, uh, but it's just been a timing thing. So we will have another guest coming soon. But today I wanted to run everyone through, because it's one of the most popular crimes, and even though most people younger than like 35 don't do it, there's still a couple of people that will. Uh, and it's just how to go through a DWI investigation. And I'm going to basically run you through how the officers are trained to do the investigation so that you know exactly what not to say or do if you ever get pulled over and you've had a couple of drinks. So I think that this is going to be a really like educational episode and uh, certainly something that everyone who uh, enjoys driving drunk will uh, learn. Uh, <laughs> we'll need to learn. <laughs> also don't fucking do it. Number one, you have to pay me so much money if you get arrested, if you take a shot. I mean, literally this is the thing, man. You get a DWI, like you, you are taking, oh my God, look at this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I need a haircut. <laughs> for everyone that's listening, I just, uh, my headphones are like, they're too, my hair is getting too big for my headphones. So, uh, it's, it's all good. It's all good though. Basically, um, what was I talking about? why you shouldn't get a DWI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't. You have to pay me a lot of money um, if you get one because literally whatever, even if your Uber is like a hundred bucks, it's going to be way cheaper than paying, uh, you know, five to $10,000 depending on how, uh, you know, that's usually what you're going to be paying if you're, pay if you're getting a lawyer that's worth a salt. Like, you're not going to be paying less than five grand if you get one. Um, and that's just kind of the standard these days because of how much work goes into beating them. Uh, but yeah, man, it's, it's, and then you're also going to pay another five if you want to go to trial. So just a big consideration that if you really want to, like uh, the way I, the way I explain it to people is if you want to know how much fun you had that night, you know, divide the amount of drinks you had by how much you pay me. And that's how much you pay for <laughs> drink. <laughs> because truly that's what it comes down to. Um, and you know, when you, when you're super fucked up and you're in and you're behind the wheel, you deserve to get fucking arrested. I mean, like, honestly, you just, that's stupid decision. You're putting other people's lives in risk and, and, uh, and you're, you're truly, and this is from a guy that's gotten one, right? So like it, it's, I, I made a stupid boneheaded move once and that's truly what most DWIs are, honestly, because most people drive drunk, don't get caught the first time, you know, it's going to be at least 50, usually on average, I think it's like 89 times before you get caught. Um, so you really are rolling the dice, you know, there's not, there's a fraction of police officers compared to the general public. So the odds are in your favor, assuming you don't get into an accident or hit somebody or whatever, that you will likely make it home. But in the in the event that you don't, I mean, it's just something that you have to, if you're close and like, this is more about for people that aren't completely fucking wasted because they're not, there's no shot for them. All right. They're going to jail. If you're like 
droopy eye, like, what else? Like me, where I hand the guy a freaking uh, fast food card as my ID. Like, <laughs> if you're that kind of fucked up, you got no shot. Your best bet is to literally just say, officer, take me to jail. I'm not doing anything. Um, because truly that's going to give you a better shot than falling over on yourself or, uh, you know, trying to, like, sometimes people are so drunk, they don't even, like, the officers aren't even advised to give you a field sobriety test if they think it's going to make you fall over and hit your head or whatever. So, uh, you know, it's just definitely something like if, if you're going to drive when you're blacked out, you're a fucking moron. And, uh, honestly, like that needs to stop. But that being said, people do. So there's a demand for what I do. Uh, and until we don't have cars anymore or whatever, then it's going to be an issue. So, um, I've got to basically today run y'all through a DWI detection. Um, from when the officer first spots you uh, doing something that may give him uh, reasonable suspicion to pull you over to going to jail and blowing into the breathalyzer or getting your blood drawn. So we're going to kind of just go through the entire process and, um, and how the, I'm going to actually use the officer's training manual to show you guys exactly what you should or shouldn't say. So they, by law and by their training can arrest you if you actually do all of these things. Um, and I'll, this is like the biggest thing is that nobody is like educating the public about how to, how to interact with the police because they don't really know their rights. They just want to give them all up as soon as you're pulled over because most people are good people trying to do right. And, uh, you know, if they feel like they're in, <laughs> most people aren't good liars. I've found, um, especially normal people, <laughs> right? Like if you're, if you're, um, if you're a really good drunk driver, the odds are you've probably slipped the cops maybe even once or twice just by smoking cigs in the car or whatever and getting rid of the smell. Like that's a popular one. Um, yeah. Pick smoking back up. If you're going to drive drunk, <laughs> that's literally the best thing that could cover alcohol. That's the only thing I've known is if you start spraying yourself with, I've seen people do, Axe body spray, uh, you know, they smell like a fucking nightclub, and the officer's like, Okay, I could smell you smell like a brewery and bad fucking like body spray. So, yeah, even if uh, even if you're chewing gum, it's just it smells like gum and alcohol, you know what I'm saying? Right, exactly. Like, it's, it's, alcohol is like ethanol, man, it, you can't hide it. I mean, that's the other thing about it, you can't hide from the hangover either. So, essentially, it truly is, you know it's a drug and, uh, it's, it's an odorous one. It's kind of like weed, um, in that regard, because it's very distinguishable usually when you can smell it. And so what these officers are trained to do, um, basically is there's three phases of a DWI detection. Um, uh, and essentially it comes down to the officers moving within the phases. So the phase, phase one essentially is, when the officers are looking uh, or they're patrolling and they're, and they say to themselves, what is this vehicle doing? Um, and do I have grounds to stop the vehicle? And how does the driver respond? Like, so basically once you stop them, um, they're also observing how you respond to their signal to stop. So as soon as they put the lights on, and this is good for people to know is that dash cams are usually activated five seconds before an officer activates his lights. So, you're going to not have anything on video prior to that occurrence. So even if you, if you, if you slipped a lane, didn't signal or, uh, you were speeding or whatever, um, 
if the officer doesn't light you up immediately, then that's likely not going to be on the video, which they know. And so they don't usually light you up until they watch you do at least two or three things wrong so that they give themselves a lot more cushion. Uh, and they'll follow you for a while in order to do that, especially if they suspect that you're doing something or if you're driving under the influence. Um, and so what they'll do is they'll, they'll also look at how you handle the, the stop. You know, I've had some guys just pull into the curb, <laughs> you know, and like, it's just, they fuck themselves before they even, you know what I mean? Like you can't even pull over correctly. Then you're giving them a lot of suspicion right off the bat. Uh, <laughs> Akash is laughing right now for the record. Um, but yeah, man, it's essentially like once you, uh, once they stop you, so depending on how you pull over and the method and, and manner in which you pull over, and always remember, guys, that if you aren't drunk, and, and this is especially important just for general motorists, is that you are, you are entitled to pull over in a safe place. Um, so if an officer lights you up on a busy freeway or for whatever, I, I never, ever pull over on a, on a shoulder of a freeway. I will always exit, even if the guy's yelling at me through his megaphone in front of his car to, get, to pull over, and I'll be like, I don't feel safe here. I mean, you can literally tell the officer if they ask you, why didn't you pull over when I told you to, you could say, I don't, I didn't feel safe and I needed a, a safe spot to pull over, especially if it's a busy freeway during rush hour or it's a dark road at night and you need to pull into a gas station. Like it's something that you need to keep in mind. Um, but so essentially then phase. So once they pull you over, they move into phase two and this is before phase three, which is the field sobriety test. But phase two is kind of their investigation investigation stage and where, you can, you can avoid even getting out of the car, assuming you don't smell like alcohol. But if you've been drinking, odds are you've likely got the odor of alcohol on you or person somewhere, or it's going to be emanating out of the vehicle. Um, just in my common experience, unless you've only had like a beer and then you waited an hour and you choose some gum or whatever, you know, like that, that's probably not going to be, but if you've had some shots and a couple of beers, like that's generally going to be something you can smell. So when the officer comes up on you, uh, as they approach the vehicle, they're basically asking themselves like, what do I see? And then when they talk to you, they're asking themselves, what do I hear, see and smell? And, uh, and how does the driver respond to my questions? And should I instruct the driver to exit the vehicle? How does the, so, okay. Assuming that they speak with you, um, and they ask you, have you been drinking? Your answer is always what? No. No. <laughs> Never. Yes. <laughs> always. No. It's like, I tell my, I tell everyone, the officers are allowed to lie to you. So you lie to them back. Okay. Uh, and, and that's, that's how you reverse the psychology on these guys is because they're legally allowed to lie to you. So fuck that shit. It's time to turn the tables on them. Um, and you never admit to it ever. You say, no officer, I haven't had anything to drink. However, I was with some friends and they did happen to spill a drink on me. And that's why I might smell like alcohol. Okay. And then that's what you give them. And then once you say that, they're going to say, oh, okay, why don't you get out of the car? So then they're going to observe how you get out of the car. If you were like me, where you fall out of the car, it's probably not going to be good. <laughs> but what you should do is you should always get out of the car and close the door. Never leave the door open where they can just look in there because they're going to give themselves any opportunity to search your vehicle no matter what. If they want to bring you to jail, like most officers, 95% of stops, they know whether or not they're going to cite you if it's just a simple traffic violation before they even get out of the car, or give you a warning. It's just basically depends on their mood and how you generally interact with them once they come up to your car. So 
Um, but on a DWI specifically, it's, it's essentially going to be like the officer is just observing for any signs of intoxication. Um, and uh, basically what they're doing is... The, the main point is that most people fuck themselves more than the officer fucks them, right? Um, I think that's one important point to hit is everyone always, the answer to the question where we said no, like it seems, um, for whatever reason, everyone's always like, I only had a beer. Or I only had a beer, two, a beer, two, a beer or two. I think that's probably the uh, most commonly said phrase before someone gets taken to jail for a DWI. It was just a beer, you know, just, just one or two. It was just, just one, one or two. two. One or two, officer. I'm, I swear. Don't, don't ever say one or two. Um, yeah. You say zero. Uh, you say no. I have not had anything to drink. Even if you have, you can't admit it. If you admit it, you're getting out of the car, no matter what. Because okay? it doesn't I mean, matter if you've had one beer. Doesn't matter if you've had thirty. You're getting out of the car because they're interested. You've been drinking. Now they want to know if you're at 0.08. Uh, most like nine times out of 10 officers aren't going to let you go once you've admitted that you're drinking. Okay. So that right there will kill your case. Never, ever admit that you've had alcohol. Even if you're drunk, say no, because they can't use it against you if you say no. I mean, just in general, if you've been uh, breaking the law, never, ever cooperate with the police. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's Yeah, not- but see, here's the thing is that most <laughs> people get DWIs obviously don't know that. They're going to want to be cooperative, and they think that if they are actually cooperative, the cops are going to let them go. Right. That never happens, okay? Never it happens. never happens. Because never they, happens. they get so much money from arresting you. They're, they're, it's, it's a financial thing, right? They're, they're incentivized to arrest people um, because of how much money it, it brings into the counties. And no one talks about that because you don't fuck with the money, Akash. Uh, but I will. I don't give a fuck. Um, okay. So essentially what they're doing is um, like when, they, when they pull you over, the vehicle in motion stopping sequence is what it's called. Like that's phase one, right? Uh, which is task one, which is where they're observing uh, – you know, it's not enough that a police officer observe and recognize, you know, symptoms of an impaired driving. You have to, they also have to be able to articulate what was observed so that a judge or jury would have a clear mental image of exactly what took place. And um, essentially it's like what they do is they'll, they're, they're trained on how to, they're trained on like a variety of ways and, and reasons to pull you over. Um, whether it be any sort of traffic violation it could be you went over the lane a little bit too much or not enough, you know, like that I've, I've had case law. I mean, literally there's no, there's no reason officers can't pull you over. I mean, they've carved out so many exceptions for them that if you're on the road and, you, and they pull you over, odds are they're going to probably find reasonable suspicion at the appellate level, just because they give cops so much benefit of the doubt. Dude. So um, for whenever I, uh, I got, I actually, fun fact, I, I got a DWI as well. But whenever I was, uh, well, I, I, I got dismissed, but I was charged with one. But um, whenever you didn't have the, the law dog too, that's pretty impressive. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So the <laughs> the um, the whenever they pulled me over, their reason was that I was going five miles below the speed limit. Like I was. Oh, you're being too safe. I was being too safe. Was the fucking reason that they that is literally me. a carved out exception for them. Yeah, I know exactly. It's crazy. So what I recommend oh. is. Um, if you're going to drive after you've had some drinks, always use cruise control right? and set it up exactly the speed limit and keep it in between the navigational beacons, baby. Two on two, 10 to two, you know what I mean? But like, 
that's the thing is that yeah, they'll 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 come up with anything to pull you over. Um, DWB is a popular one, <laughs> and the fucking and, and it depends where you are, man. Because honestly, like the, I have had clients get pulled over for no reason other than being black, and so like that is a serious. <laughs> oh, I, thing, I, I, kinda, I I I was trying to figure out what DWB was, bro. That's fucking <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> okay, okay truly, man. No, that's a term that they like. It is a true thing. Honestly, it is a true thing like i uh it's and it's luckily getting better now because of the pushback um but man for the last 50 years it's been a goddamn thing okay like that is a real issue and we'll get into that when we do our race episode but yeah man i i think that that i it just needs to be said but that needs to end. Um, okay, so when they when they we're gonna go into phase two. Basically, this is where the officer gets out of the car and he's approaching you. But their 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 job during all of this is to observe you and what you're doing as far as exhibiting signs of intoxication. Um, and literally, the the officer manual even says like, you may have developed a strong suspicion that the driver is impaired prior to face to face observation. <laughs> so they're giving him like carte blanche right here, right? You have uh, developed a strong, so you may, you may have developed no suspicion of DWI prior to face-to-face contact, uh, which is also true. So someone could have a, someone could pull over perfectly, and then you get up to the car and you just get hit with a wad of booze. And so that's another thing. But, um, you know, essentially what they are trying to do is they'll ask you, you know, they're looking for your sense of sight, hearing, and smell. And, uh, they're, they're looking for bloodshot eyes, soiled clothing, bumbling fingers, alcohol containers, drugs or drug paraphernalia, um, unusual actions. Like when you get pulled over, you should never be fiddling around with your center console or your dash. Like, and this is a good point is that when you get pulled over, you need to do exactly this. Uh, you need to pull over immediately in the, in the safest place that you can. And then you need to keep I, what I usually do when I get pulled over is I have my, I'm a concealed handgun license carrier. So in Texas, you have to show them that license um, and your driver's license upon uh, stop being stopped by the police. So I usually have, I'll cra- I, I roll the window all the way down. If you crack it, it makes them suspicious. So I usually roll it all the way down and I'll hold, I have my right hand on the steering wheel and my left hand on the steering wheel with my two cards in between my fingers. So I'm sitting here like this. And, um, the officer will usually appreciate that number one, because they always want to see your hands. I mean, look, like, think about it. Like if you're an officer, you never know what person you're going to be dealing with whenever you walk up on a car. So I, I, they're trained not to get shot and killed, obviously. So they have to be looking out for where are your hands going? Do you, are you reaching for a weapon? Like what is, you know, that's just safety training one-on-one because there are a lot of bad guys out there who will fucking kill cops. And so they have to be aware of that. But in a DWI investigation, like usually, you know, it's not going to be the case, but they are always alert for, you know, what they're seeing and hearing. Like when they hear slurred speech, admission of drinking, inconsistent responses, unusual statements, abusive language, or any kind of like dickish language, you know, like that's going to usually be an indicator of um, intoxication. So uh, they also might smell, you know, alcoholic beverages or, or like I said earlier, they're going to try and detect cover up odors as well. So, um, 
basically what they're doing is taking all of that evidence. And then if they have like, so say they, they gather enough to get you out of the car, um, essentially, but what, before they do that is they can ask you a bunch of different questions in, in manipulating ways. And, uh, essentially they train them to use three techniques, which is to ask for two things simultaneously, uh, where are you coming from and where are you going? There's a popular one, right? Um, or what time is it? Is it really without looking at your clock is another one they'll use on you. A very popular one. Um, and, uh, or they'll ask you like, well, what are the last two cars you remember seeing, you know, and what they look like or something like that. You know, like they'll, they'll just try to fuck with you and you don't have to answer those questions. You can just say officer respectfully. I don't have any interest in discussing my personal life with you, but if you are detaining me, um, and then at that point, if you say that, no one says that, but if you said that, I say that, <laughs> but if you say, if you say that, then they're, they're going to probably look at you funny. Um, and then they'll like, they'll likely, uh, not know what to do because <laughs> that never happens. Most people are just like, yeah, I've had two beers, but I'm not drunk. And they're like, get out of the car. Okay. So as soon as you admit guilt, they'll usually get to go straight into the third phase. Uh, or if you admit alcoholic intake, they'll get to go straight into the third phase, which is the field sobriety test, which we'll get into. But before we do, before they can do that, they still like the, another popular way they'll get you is if they ask you for your license and registration, usually if you forget to produce both documents or you produce the wrong documents like me, uh, you know, and it, or it takes you a long time and you're stumbling for it. That's a very popular indicator of intoxication. Is that the, uh, uh Whenever you said that they try to ask two questions at once, is that the same thing? They're trying to get you to stumble? Yeah. So they're asking you to do like, so driving is about being aware, right? Like driving isn't a right. It's a privilege. And that needs to be remembered, right? It's not like a constitutional right. It's a privilege that you have to get licensed and pay fees to do um, just like everything else. But essentially, you know, once once you give them any sort of reason to feel like you might be trying to hide something, they're going to, they're going to expand on it. And so they're going to ask you for multiple things at once to keep you distracted because when you're driving, it's, it's distractions everywhere. Right. You know? And so you've got to, uh, have sensory awareness of who's in front of you. What's the weather like? What's the speed of, what's the pace of traffic? You know, like those are all things that are important as a driver to be aware of, uh, even though everyone's on their fucking phones now, but, uh, in practice, that's what you should be doing. <laughs> now everyone's steering with their knees doing this. And I'm texting by the way. <laughs> um, but they'll also ask you like, uh, what day is it, you know? And, uh, where are you coming from? And they'll be alert if you ignore the question or you, or you only concentrate on finding your license or registration because they're going to be asking you for stuff and then asking you questions while you're looking for stuff. So that's why if you already have a license and registration in your hand ready to give to him, it makes it way, you're not going to stumble around looking for him, give him any more reasons to get you out of the car. But they'll ask, they can ask you things like, what's your middle name? Or, you know, what's your mom's maiden name? And if you're drunk, you usually can't remember that shit right off the spot. If you're really good, you usually do. But uh, most people aren't going to be aware of like random ass questions. Also, you don't have to answer any of them. That's just stuff that they're allowed to do. 
But uh, essentially, oh, and they'll also make you do the alphabet backwards or whatever. Some of them, they don't really do that anymore, but they can. Um, uh, and they can make you do a finger count or a countdown or a basically like whatever yeah. they can use to get you but out of the, the car. The important point is that what you really should be doing is just shut the fuck up, right? Shut the fuck up! Shut the fuck up. It's very simple, bro. Just don't... Dude, that is literally... I mean, if we could get... Like, Law dog, shut the fuck up. Shirts made. I mean, I, I, I don't know. We can make it like a not fuck on the shirt. Obviously, shut the front door. Shut the front door, officer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man. Like literally, that's it. Is if people just knew that they didn't have to answer the majority of police officers' questions, then they would not get in trouble in the first place. But anyway, most people don't know that. So they will if they listen to this. Um, hopefully, they do. But <clears throat> okay. So once they get you out of the car, they're going to be looking for a couple of things. They're going to look and see, are you angry uh, or giving them an unusual reaction? Or did you not follow instructions correctly? Or you can't open the door? Or do you leave something in your car? Or do you leave the car in gear is a popular one. I've seen people try to get out while it's in drive. <laughs> if the car keeps going, generally, uh, yeah, it's going to be a pretty good indicator that you fucked up. Uh, do you climb out of the window? I've seen that happen. <laughs> the door worked, by the way. Uh, do you lean against the car? That's a big <laughs> one. Don't lean against the fucking car to hold yourself up. Uh, and, you know, essentially, anything that they're doing to like s figure out if you're impaired. Um, and then what they'll do is, if they have enough, they're going to be like, all right, will you step over here and look into this pen? They're not even going to tell you what they're doing to start, but there's three field sobriety tests. There's called the, there's three standard ones that every officer across the country uses. The first one's called the horizontal gaze nystagmus test. And that is essentially the pen test where they're holding it in front of your eyes and they're doing this. And then after that, they do what's called a walk and turn, which is where you, uh, even a sober person can't do this, where you have to walk on a straight line, usually on a road that's cracked uh is the a common scenario i every single dwi case i get i go to the cream i go to the crime scene and i i take photos of the ground and uh and i take photos of where exactly they got pulled over so that i could show the jury would you be able to walk on a straight line on a on a on a road that's shaped like this like no so that's another huge one is and 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 also how they line you up um with oncoming traffic and lights and stuff like that so all of that is relevant to a DWI investigation. Um, and so what they'll do on a pre-arresting screen. So phase three is basically where they're, they're, they're pretty sure you're drunk, but they aren't a hundred percent sure. So they want to have solid proof to give to the DA. And that's how they do these as these tests, because most people look like idiots doing them. And that's why I encourage every jury to go in the, in the jury room, like first off the bat, when they get back there and try and do the field sobriety tests. And like, I've had a bunch come up to me after trials that I've won and lost. And then like, I couldn't do them sober. And I said, that's why they made them this way is because they're designed to make you fail. And, and, and uh, most cops don't even exec execute the test properly. Right. They're, they're exactly. And that's the thing is like, that ties into your administrative license revocation hearing because what will happen is I, it, uh, when I file an appeal for your license, when they take it, uh, the officer has to show up to that hearing and answer a bunch of questions from me, usually after a 12 hour night shift, 
and they don't like doing that. So mo- like nine out of, I mean, it just usually depends on the lawyer, but like Beeson, who we had on earlier, no cops show up to his ALR hearings anymore. All your clients just get your license back instead of them giving Beeson a bunch of ammo, which is the following is that once you get the officer on a stand, you can cross examine them for hours if you want to. And you get to use all of that stuff at trial to impeach them. If they if their testimony wavers just a smidge about the investigation, I hammer them and I'll blow it up on their, I, I get a, a copy of the transcript um, that from his testimony, which is recorded orally. Uh, and basically I'll, I'll, I'll throw it up on a big screen and I'll say, well, officer at the ALR hearing, you said it was this. And he's like, well, uh, I don't know. I don't remember. It just makes him lose credibility. So that ALR hearing is imperative. Uh, and it's imperative to hire me within 14 days of getting a DWI, because if you don't file that ALR appeal, you're losing a lot of good ammunition to use at your criminal trial. Interesting, but, bro. So it's not just your license that you can. Re- it's no, it's it's, it's prime discovery for defense attorneys. Like that is our bread and butter kind of secret. Sometimes to winning cases is beating them at the ALR hearing, because the cop and literally gives up has to give up everything he's got on you. Right? Exactly. So, so you have to get them, you get them on record. It's almost like deposing the cop before a trial. It's like. We don't allow, we're not allowed to take depositions of police officers. Like in a, in a civil trial, you can depose any, any party in the case. Can't do that against the state. Um, <laughs> that's maybe interesting uh, why that is that way. But they have immunity, okay? They're government. And if you're government, you're supreme, baby. You're covered. You're, you're protected. <laughs> so, just to, just so they have the shield just to recap everything so far bro because I'm, I'm over here taking notes as well so yeah, yeah, yeah. we haven't even got field spotting <laughs> yeah. tests so let's recap it, bro. <laughs> yeah bro this is a crucial it is it's, it's uh, how, how many anyway. yeah but the uh just to recap so first phase one is uh shut the fuck up right so assume you fuck that up you 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 self-incriminate yourself Phase two is you don't have to take the field sobriety test, right? It's, it's voluntary. Boom, bingo. Um, quick question. If I refuse to take the field sobriety test, but the cop, that gives cops grounds to make an arrest though, right? They can use that. Uh, actually, no. Um, you, they can use the evidence that you submitted. Okay, so we'll get to br- post-arrest uh, or post-cuffs um, when you... Uh, prosecutors can use the evidence that you didn't submit to a breath or blood test as evidence of your guilt. They cannot, however, and well, they can use your own statements against you in the trial. So yes, if you say, I don't want to use the field sobriety tests, um, the officers are, most DAs will try and say, well, isn't this proof that he's drunk? And like, that's where I come and hammer him. And I'm like, no, it just shows that he knows his rights. Uh, you right. know? And so, so if you, so if you refuse to um, voluntarily participate in incriminating yourself via field sobriety test it's a lot easier for your attorney attorney later to get you off in terms of by saying that he just didn't want to take the test versus you know having to make up for why you couldn't walk or exactly uh, yeah if you just don't ever give him a reason you and that's why once we start this field sobriety test like you tell him i got my eye i have epilepsy my back's fucked up. My knees are fucked up. My ankle's fucked up. You get every single ailment that you can think of, and you tell them you are not a good candidate to take any field sobriety tests. You wear contacts. You have epilepsy. Is the most, they're the best ones. Just say you have epilepsy. And assume it all goes to shit and you do get arrested. Make sure you hire an attorney before the first ALR hearing. So the a- 14 attorney- days. No, and like, you don't even get an ALR hearing if your attorney doesn't file an appeal. Okay. 
So, so if you don't hire a lawyer, I mean, you're uh, within two weeks, you lose what I just gave you is generally the best way out of winning in trials. Okay. Uh, that's, that's very, so it's, it's imperative very that you hire a lawyer ASAP. And that's the state knows that most people don't. Uh, and they'll just take the license suspension, which if you refuse is uh, six months automatically, um, just based on the transportation code. If you, so part of the contract that you sign up with the state when you get a license is that you agree to submit to broader breath testing when you get arrested for DWI by law. That's just part of it. So if you refuse, then they have to get a warrant. And the refusal aspect then makes it uh, 180 days automatic suspension in Texas. If you blow over a 0.08, if you provide a specimen and you're over 0.08, then it's only 90 days. So they get, they cut you a break if you, if you submit and, uh, and actually, you're over. Uh, to recap, that's actually why mine got dismissed. The only thing I did right whenever I was arrested was I didn't <laughs> give them a blood test. They didn't breathalyze me, but like at that point, I guess it wasn't even like I did it. In so time. that's another was, huge one is like if they don't. So and I'm going to go into this when I when I recap it all as to how we beat DWIs. And that's you don't give them anything. OK, right. if you don't give them any evidence, then they don't really have anything to prosecute you on. Because you'd and, much rather not have a like a 60 day license suspension than a, a DWI on your record. for. The well, uh, usually right. a conviction, the judge is going to suspend your license for a year, six anyway, months to a right. year. Right. right. So then and and but if you've already had your license suspended at an alr hearing they're going to give you usually they're usually going to give you credit for whatever that amount of time is in addition to the additional suspension that you get from the conviction which is generally a year to 18 months on a dwi first i mean shit so if you have another dwi second or even a third it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and um as far as the license suspension so then you have to pay me another 2,500 bucks to get an occupational license. And, and that's something that you have to use to drive around or to go to work. Uh, so it's just going to cost you even more money if you don't do the LR. Awesome. Um, okay. So then let's get back into the field sobriety test, uh, okay. which is essentially the first one is called horizontal gaze nystagmus. And it's looking, so your eyes most people don't know this, but when you look one way or another, usually if you're intoxicated, your eyes involuntarily will jerk on the inserts of your eyeballs. Uh, uh, I actually have a video that I can, we'll, we'll throw up for the people to see like an example of how they do the HGN. Okay. But essentially what they're looking for is your eyes erratically jerking um, because when your brain is, is stimulated by um ethanol essentially your eyeballs will not be able to control themselves so like i'm completely sober right now if you did the hgen on me some people regardless of whether or not intoxicated might have nystagmus okay it's just uh some of it it's a medical condition for some people and that's why i always tell people to just tell the cops that you have epilepsy and then they can't give it to you so that's a good fucking one um we should put that in our visor uh materials <laughs> um and essentially like uh, they're looking for the involuntary jerking of the eyes at, and as the person's blood alcohol concentration increases the eyes will jerk sooner as they move to the side so um there's six clues six possible clues on an hgn test and those are um 
as the eye moves from side to side, does it move smoothly or does it jerk noticeably? That's what they're looking for as the first clue. The second clue is when the eye moves as far to the side as possible and is kept at that position for four seconds, does it jerk distinctly? Um, that's the second clue. The third is that as the eye moves towards the side, does it jerk prior to a 45 degree angle? So they're literally just looking for eye jerk movements on when they're doing this pen test from you. But it can be screwed up by the fact that there's passing traffic. There's they, the officer could have um, not turned on his red and blues, which or his uh, strobe lights, which strobe lights will really fuck up the HGN. Um, so like literally you could just tell the officers, I have bad eyesight and I have epilepsy or I just don't feel comfortable taking this test. And, uh, and it's not because I'm intoxicated. Make sure you mention that every step of the way officer. I don't, I, I don't feel the need to take this. I, I'm not intoxicated. Clearly I, I'd like to be free to leave. And then if you keep hammering them that and you didn't give them any sort of admission, then if they take you to jail, you're going to have a way easier chance to beat it. If you give them, and we'll get into this, but if you don't have if you don't have blood, breath, any field sobriety tests, any admission, or any sort of indication, it's going to make my job so much easier to get your case dismissed. Okay, but as far as the HGN, if they like, so like ninety eight percent of the cases, I'll get six clues from the officers on their checklist because there's no way to check their work um, when you actually watch the video because. The officer, unless they have body cam that is directly on their eyeballs, which most officers don't, you're not going to be able to observe that test. So you're just literally going off of the officer's word uh, as far as the HGN in like 98% of cases. Um, and so then uh, they'll, they'll hit you with these um, divided uh, attention tests, which is the walk and turn and the one leg stand. Um, and that's essentially the walk and turn. <laughs> it's validated by NHTSA, which is the National Highway. Um, what the fuck does it stand for? <laughs> National Highway of Safety and Transportation Administration. Yeah. So uh, that <laughs> it's only 68% accurate in detecting less than 0.1 BAC. So uh, there's two stages to a walk and turn. There's the, the instruction stage and the walking stage. And essentially what happens is the officer will stand there and he'll instruct you and show you what he wants you to do first. Um, and it, it, essentially what he's doing is he's dividing your attention between verbal commands and physical action. And so it, it's a good way to gauge. I mean, if the test was actually doable, it would be a good way to gauge that you we're pretty much impaired because you generally can't focus on two things at once when you're impaired. That's why they, they came up with this test, but, um, it's a bad test. It just needs to be revised in my opinion. Um, but it, okay. So in the walking stage, what they're going to do is, or in the instruction stage, they tell you they stand with your feet in a heel to toe position, keep your arms at your sides and listen to their instructions. Okay. And then you have to stand there like a soldier while you watch them and, and watch them do it. And they're basically going to take nine heel to toe steps and a straight imaginary line. Okay. Makes it a little harder when it's a really cracked road or bendy, you know, um, most concrete isn't completely level. Okay. Uh, it's just something that's, that's a common occurrence, but it doesn't matter. I mean, most lawyers aren't doing any of this due diligence either. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to plead your case and make another couple of grand, right? Um, 
but no, man, I, I said all this stuff for trial. You're the devil's in the details. That's where you, that's where you have the most fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, so literally what they're going to do in the walking in uh, stage is they, they make you keep your, so they take, you take nine heel to toe steps back. Okay. So you take nine heel to toe steps. You turn in this weird ass, like, chicken legged turn right it's not even a real turn it's not an about face it's it's strange how they do it and then you take nine heel to toe steps back and you watch your feet while you do it and then you have to count as you're taking the steps so it's dividing your attention among balancing which is the walking heel to toe and turning amongst counting out loud and uh and then recalling the number of steps in the turning instructions so it's got three kind of little elements into it and essentially the clues for walk and turn are number one, you can't keep your balance while listening to the instructions. So you're falling over while the cops trying to tell you how to do it. Number two, you start too soon because he has to tell you when to start. And that's another instruction is don't start until I tell you. Number three, you, you stop while you're walking or, uh, number four, you don't touch your heel to toe. Exactly. I mean, it's literally, and if you're like this much off, they'll fucking mark it as a clue. Okay. Um, you step off the imaginary line uh, is another one. Uh, you use your arms to balance. You make an improper turn or you make an incorrect number of steps. So there's eight clues on the walk and turn that they can all use. Okay. And, uh, and then after that, they're going to say, okay, well, come over here and I want you to do this. And this is called the one leg stand. And this is also another divided attention test. But essentially what they do is they tell them, the officer is again demonstrating it for you before they do it. And most like, this is the best times is when I have the officers do that, do their own instructions wrong um, is where I love to hammer them on the ALR, which is like, if they do the test wrong, I am like, how the fuck is my guy supposed to do it right? You know? And I'm like, Oh, here's the manual. And I, I blow it up and I, and I put it on a screen and I make the officer admit that he didn't do it according to his training. So then literally I get that evidence thrown out at trial on the one leg stand because the officer, if I take him on board dire, can't admit to being an expert on that particular set of facts because he didn't do his according to his training. And that's another big one is that you can get all like individual tests. I got an HGN thrown. Actually, I like to keep the HGN in because of how stupid it is. Um, and, and I, I, I even show the jury the video and I'm like, all right, go back in the jury room and try and do this. And I bet one of your eyes jerks. Okay. And so that's how I kind of negate the HGN when I'm at trial. But that was another decent trick, by the way. <laughs> I've learned everything I learned from the FBI all from that guy. I mean, if you didn't do like, I, he was my number one mentor. The dude sends me everything he can on every trooper or cop that's dirty or whatever. If I have a case, like this is the guy that like I go to for advice. If I have like a tricky DWI, I mean, that's why I had him on because he was, he is the guy. And I mean, he is like, he knows this better than me and, and all the officers combined, right? That's what makes him the best. And so I'm just usually emulating what he does. And I've found that to be a good successful thing to do in most like lawyering situations, which is, I don't know shit. I'm, I'm new and I'm going to learn from the best. And that's how you become a better lawyer. Um, at least that's how I do it anyway, uh, or try to. But back to the one leg stand. So you have to raise your, this is the hardest motherfucking test in the world, by the way, even if you're sober, like, so this is why you have an, an ankle issue or you have a, a broken foot that you have some like, issues with from a year ago, or you have an ACL. 
Um, I get all of my clients, like the, when, when I, when I sit them down for a consultation, I, the first thing I ask is if they have any physical injuries from the past that we can get medical records for to show that you weren't a good candidate for the field sobriety test. And so I then get those in via subpoena deuces tecum, uh, from the office, from the, from the doctor's offices directly. And so I can admit those as business through a business records affidavit. I can get in the evidence that my guy has a, has a bad knee or whatever, a bad ankle. And, um, the jury gets to hear that. So that's, um, a huge consideration in that, uh, most lawyers don't ask you that. And they also don't ask you if you're allergic to anything. Um, because if you have like a yeast, uh, issue or something that has anything to do, like if your body or your stomach has an issue that process like with processing ethanol, it could definitely fuck up your case. Like it could fuck up the results of the case. So any sort of issue like that, I always ask, you know, um, and especially like epilepsy or brain conditions, or if you even wear contacts, you're not supposed to be a good candidate for the HGN. So, um, basically then, uh, I want to get back to the one I'm going off on tangents, but what the one leg stand is crazy because literally they make you stand one foot, either foot, it's like a yoga pose pretty much, but you're, Dude, you're standing even there. Harder, even harder because they <laughs> make you close your fucking eyes. I mean, I'm a yogi, right? I practice like three to four days a week and I still can't do this fucking test. That's right. what I'm so, saying, bro. With your eyes closed, like it's not a fuck, it's bull, it's crazy. No, right. Yeah, and that's the thing is like, so what they do is you have to raise one foot, either foot. Um, so make sure you st- pick your bad knee. <laughs> with right and you raise it six inches so the officer tells you how to do it first he's like i want you to stand here one leg off the ground six inches off uh with both legs straight and the raised foot parallel to the ground and while looking at the elevated foot count out loud in the following manner 1001 1002 1003 until told to stop that's what their actual like thing is is they can make you go however long they want they usually want 30 seconds but uh, it divides your attention between balancing and small muscle control, but really it just makes you fucking fall over and look like an idiot because it's a really hard test to do. Bro, it's so, like, yeah. Hey, can you please get out of your car and start doing fucking gymnastics? Yeah. Do some yoga for me, bro. <laughs> I mean, just, if you do some yoga and prove that you're sober, I'll let you go on in your merry way. <laughs> and I tell every jury that I do yoga all the time and I can't do these tests and I always get an objection in this and the, and the judge makes them disregard that statement that they fucking hear it. Uh, okay. So the four, the four clues for the one legs, there's only four. So you, you can really, it's really easy to fuck this one up. Uh, you sway while balancing, which is a very, if you do this, <laughs> that's one. Um, if you use your arms at all to balance, Boom. Uh, who uses their arms to balance whenever they're like standing on a freaking balance beam? Hmm. <laughs> uh, hopping and puts foot down. So those are your four clues on those. Which all is- right. Now they've got you. Okay. So they've got you on all three of those tests. After that, then they make a determination to arrest you or not. Usually. Um, nine times out of 10, if you give them the FSTs, they're arresting you 9.9 times out of 10. Don't ever, ever, ever submit to the field sobriety tests ever. You tell them there's no reason that you need to do that ever. Okay. I mean, that's number one for public education. Never, ever, ever admit or never admit to drinking. Never, ever allow yourself to take any of these tests. Okay. It's, you don't have to. So, um, 
just to recap, um, if you, for you know you were unfortunate, you didn't get to hear this podcast before you got arrested. <laughs> yeah, you know, listening you, to it. You if you're did. listening to it retroactively, and yeah, you're like, you, God you damn it! Like, I wish I listened to this <laughs> last week. Um, oh, last sure week! You, if I'd only heard this, I should have yeah. fucking downloaded <laughs> this shit. Yeah, yeah, seriously, man. Sure. I mean, nobody knows this stuff. Nobody knows this right. stuff. Right, but make sure you it's have... It's not like they're putting this out on... Dil- like, what do you see on billboards? Bro. Drink, drive, go to jail. Not true. You can drink and drive. It's not illegal. <laughs> <laughs> it's like such nonsense. It's all propaganda. I mean, it's government shit, so whatever. Like, that's whatever. But, I mean, it is... It's nonsense. If people just knew their rights, they could just so fucking turn the tides on these officers i'm telling you right but make sure you get get go to your alr get your alr like get your lawyer to file an alr appeal immediately uh and that is another huge one um but okay i want to move into kind of the fields of like the um breathalyzer and the blood test so uh, essentially what happens then is that if if they feel like they have enough to get you uh presuming that you did all the tests uh and if you're listening to this post-active your dwi you obviously gave them all the tests because you didn't know you didn't have to do them. But if that happens to you, then your next biggest way to try and beat the case is, or the, the next biggest way they're going to try and prove their case is through your blood or breath alcohol content. And so uh, it essentially means that it's still at the investigative stage and the accusatory stage hasn't been made. Um, before you ask to take a portable breath test, you never, so most officers don't even have these anymore because of the issues with the calibration. They're not even like, they get like, they, they've been, they, they get tossed out of court. So this isn't really even that much of an issue anymore, but some rural counties still try to do this. If they ask you to blow into a portable breathalyzer, you absolutely refuse that every time. Okay. Uh, and, and they can use that as evidence of your guilt, but it doesn't matter. Don't give it to them. You say, there's no reason I need to do that officer. No. I'm not doing that. And then essentially what they're going to have to do is then they're, if they put you in cuffs, they have, they have to read you what's called the DIC 23 and DIC 24. And that is uh, essentially all of the legalese explaining how when you signed up to get a license, you, you, you volunteer to give blood or breath samples uh, if you're accused of DWI. And then at the end of it, the officer will ask you, um, will you submit to a blood or breath test? And this is what I recommend. This is what Mark told me is that it's better to blow than it is to bleed if you have to. Okay. So if it's a no refusal weekend, uh, which is popular these days in in certain, certain counties, uh, you might've heard that phrase, no refusal, um, thrown around, but essentially that just means that the officers get like carte blanche warrants on every DWI investigation. So they'll have one judge sitting there signing every single warrant to get blood or, or breath. Uh, uh, usually it's blood because if you, if you, if you refuse and the way that you refuse is you say, I officer respectfully, I don't think there's any need for that. I don't feel the need to provide a sample when I'm not intoxicated. That's what you say. Okay. Um, but what you do then is, um, and from experience, uh, they'll try to tell you that you'll get your license suspended. Like it's okay. You know what I'm saying? Like it's worse. Oh yeah. So the, it'll, it'll be like, it'll, in the DIC 23, it's going to tell you that you're, um, that you, uh, 
your license is going to be suspended for 90 days if you fail and 180 days automatically if you refuse. At that point, like refuse, okay? Because then you can just beat it at the ALR. That's the biggest part to remember about that. And then, oh, I wanted to briefly go back to the HGN because nine times out of 10, like you mentioned, the officers do not do the test correctly because it's very distinct in how they have to do it, right? They have to, um, there's a lot of procedures to get it right. And so when I took a, uh, a standard field sobriety test like training course so that I could get, I could get aware of how they do them. Um, and this is where I, I learned all of this material. And this was years ago, uh, taught by a lawyer named, uh, Doug Murphy, great guy. Uh, and he, he essentially states like the officers nine times out of 10 will administer the HGN wrong because they have to do it in a certain procedure wherein like they have to hold the pen out at a certain angle at a certain height for a certain amount of time. And so the HGN in total should take like two minutes, 30 seconds. I've seen HGNs done as quick as like 35 seconds. I've seen them take as long as 10 minutes. And so if they're not in the ballpark of what they're supposed to be doing is you can get the HGN thrown out pretty easily. So um, that's just one thing that I always look for, but going into the blood and breath stuff, um, essentially let's see here. Um, so the, it used to be, they didn't take your blood, right? Uh, they, they just had a breath test. It was called the Intoxilizer 5000. Now we have what's called the Intoxilizer 9000. Woo. Um, it's this pricey motherfucking piece of government equipment. And it, it has a ton of awesome capabilities, um, that we don't get access to. So like the, the biggest difference in the 9,000 was like they changed it so that they could make it seem like it was way more accurate. And it is, uh, in theory, but what happened? Oh, can you hear the lawnmower? <laughs> Somebody is cutting the lawn. All right. Sorry about that. If y'all can hear that, but, um, essentially what happens is, uh, the 5,000, you had to blow into it like forever. And the 9,000 made it a lot easier to, to get a reading. Um, as well as like a bunch of other scientific technical stuff. That's really the only thing that changed between them. Um, but there has to be, so the biggest thing that I look for in a breath test is the agreement uh, because the, the relativity of each sample has to be within 0 0.02 of each other or it's not considered a valid test. So I have to subpoena all of the, all of the chronographs and stuff like that, the data, from the breath tests. And then that's where like, uh, Deandra Grant is a, the best blood DWI lawyer in, in Texas. I'd say, uh, as far, if you have a blood case, it's like wherein the, the lab screwed up, that's who you want on your case. Um, she, she always taught me and she was one of my mentors in clinic and law school as well, that the devil is in the details of the paperwork, right? So if you do end up blowing or bleeding, whatever kind of documentation comes out of that is general, like, that's just another thing for lawyers to attack. But if you don't even give them that opportunity, then like you said, a caution, your situation, if they don't have anything to go off of. It makes it a lot easier on me. Okay. So assuming that you get pulled over, they arrest you for DWI and they tell you, do you want to give a blood or a breath sample? If you say, no, I want to give a, uh, neither, which is what the correct response is. But if they then end up getting a warrant, 
they'll usually take your blood. And this is where it's pretty nuts, but um, now before I get into blood, I wanted to go over this for breath. Sorry. Uh, is that essentially that there's other things that there's, um, there's a, the biggest way that they lose in breath testing is that they didn't do the pre observation period correctly. Uh, in that you have to wait 15 minutes, um, without anything in your mouth before you can blow. Um, and I always tell people a good trick is to hyperventilate right before you blow, because that's really going to help uh, lower the result. And that's a fun little trick there. <laughs> you go, it'll literally cause all the alcoholic, uh, the ethanol concentrations not to really hit. So, um, and they'll look for that, but if you can do it real subtly, you can usually beat the test. Uh, I've beaten them a lot with doing that. <laughs> like I would just be doing them like just to see if I could beat it. And it is, it's a, one way you can do it is hyperventilating before you do it, but they're looking for it. So, but a lot of officers aren't. And if they don't even wait 15 minutes, like say for instance, they just come into jail and they don't give you a 15 minute observation period and they give you the breath test. Generally that's grounds for a motion to suppress the breath test because they didn't follow the procedures that they're required to. But, um, it's always better to blow than bleed because the breath tests are a little bit more easy to attack the credibility. Like, what Mark's really good at, because what they'll do is they'll get an expert to come testify about the blood or breath. And usually that's the person who administered the test, whether it be the nurse, uh, phlebotomist, or the uh, person that works for the forensic science department that analyzes the specimen. They're usually the ones that testify uh, about, because they have to as far as chain of custody uh, of the evidence. And so uh, what they're going to do is, you know, once they get a warrant for your blood, they can literally tie your ass down and take it from you. So, I mean, that's just, it's something you sign up for when you get a license is that they, you can literally have your body, um, invaded by the government, by law, uh, to get a blood sample now. Pretty nuts, right? Do you think that's, uh, something that should be the case? I, I mean, so it, you, I feel like the most, I think it's important. Like, I don't think it should work for the run of the mill DWIs, but accident cases or where there is a fatality. I do believe that information is essential. And so I see the, the weighing interest, uh, or the competing weighing balance of, do we need to secure a blood or a breath sample? Well, usually in a, like a vehicular, you know, homicide or an intoxicated manslaughter, they're going to always want a sample so they will uh you know get your get your shit if they want it okay like that's just how it is they'll get your blood and they can they can do it a couple of different ways um the way i prefer they do it is taking you to the hospital because it gives them a way a, a few more steps to screw up um because like the the blood that they take at the hospital is called serum are it's essentially different than your whole blood that they would take at the jail because it's going to usually increase the BAC by like 0 0.04, 0 0.05 generally. If you have hospital blood over whole blood, that's just taken regularly at a jail. Um, and that's because of the way that they test it. Uh, and so just depending on who's doing the testing and who's doing the analyzing, that's going to determine a lot about your case. But um, the most common scenario that I see is, you know, they'll get a, they'll get a, a warrant and they will essentially, if you don't submit, they'll strap your ass down to a chair and they'll take it. And so um, essentially like it's going to give them a number, right? Cause after they send the blood off, it usually takes three to six months 
with the Department of Public Safety to run your tests. And that the testing is where Mark is, he's triple board certified as a scientist. He figured out how to be a scientist that analyzes the blood. Like that's how good he is. I'm not that good, right? I, and I know, I know where to look for in the chromatographs and all of the stuff that you need to be looking and analyzing in the blood discovery because when they give you blood discovery, it's like a thousand pages. They want to give you everything that you can't find. You got to dig through all of it in order. And Deandra is really good about explaining how to do that. That's how I learned how to, how to beat blood cases. But um, essentially, yeah, man, it, it's, it's like a thousand pages of data on the blood test. And so it'll go through chain of custody, what the blood, like, so if the vials were faulty, do they have, like, there's another, there's a huge issue in Harris County that just had thousands of cases get thrown out because there was expired vials in all of the testing kits. And so you had like over 500 or thousand DWIs tossed because of faulty test tubes. Uh, and that's a massive government fuck up, right? I mean, how much money did they lose out on that because of that? So, I mean, you, you've got a lot of considerations for what they're trying to do in the blood or breath test. Like, and I, I tell people if it's a no refusal weekend and they and they're going to automatically get a warrant for your blood, it's just better off to blow because it's easier to beat the breathalyzer than it is to beat the blood. People, juries, for some reason, they, they trust blood more. I found, um, even though it's pretty much junk science, how they test the blood because they use, um, they're not actually like sticking something into the blood and analyzing it. They're fucking, uh, they're, I forgot the, the name of it. I should know this off the top of my head, but they're analyzing like this and I'm, I'm holding my fingers together like less than a centimeter. It's like the amount of air in between the space between the blood and the top of the vial. And so that is what's measuring the ethanol content coming off of your blood. And so when they put it in this machine and it's, it's, and they put it, it's not just your case. It's with like hundreds of other people's at the same time. And you just become a number. And so those vials get tagged with your information and your case number. And there's a lot of, of good juicy room to beat the case in the chain of custody. Uh, usually when the blood hits the lab, because if they don't, for instance, get it back in the refrigerator in time, uh, then the sample could coagulate and uh, become unusable uh, or untestable. Uh, there's just so many different like considerations that go into what happens when they take your blood. And so there's also like a, a, a lot of different ways to beat it, but it's way easier to beat a breath test than it is a blood test. And like, I think that to sum it all up, I mean, if you one, shut the fuck up. If you two, don't give them any excuse to get you out of the car. Three, if they do, you don't give them the field sobriety test. Four, they arrest you anyway. Shut the fuck up. And you, and you, and you refuse uh, any, any breath or blood test. They get a warrant. You, you blow. Okay. You say, I want to take a breath test. Okay. And that's, and that's the easiest way you're going to give me the beat your case. <laughs> uh, is just by following those simple steps, because if you don't know your rights, uh, and odds are, if you're drunk, you're not going to remember any of this shit. So, um, but if you're buzzed or tipsy and like, you've only had legitimately, you've only had two beers. You don't ever tell the officer you've had two beers. Cause that's what he hears from everybody. But if you've legitimately only had two beers and he says he smells alcohol on your person, you can just say, well, officer, someone spilled a drink on me. And they'll say, well, I can smell it coming out of your mouth. And you say, well, no, officer. Uh, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I haven't had anything to drink. And then they're going to get you out of the car. But if you don't give them the field sobriety test and if you don't answer any of their questions, they're not going to have any grounds to arrest you. Right?
bro. Yeah, I mean that's it's it's crazy how uh, how much how how many people think that like yo if I just cooperate here, um, you know. Yeah, they just think like, like oh man, I'll just like, like oh yeah, I can do these. No, you can't. Okay, yeah, you think yeah, you can, yeah. and you can't. I mean, I'm telling you, especially if you've had some drinks. I <laughs> actually was so funny in law school. Um, I probably shouldn't say this, but. I had some buddies and they were like, we're all lawyer, like lawyers in training and we're learning the SFSTs and we're doing them on each other while we're fucking hammered just to see who's has to drive. But that was pre Uber. <laughs> and honestly, like that shit's over with now. I mean, Uber, Lyft, cab, there is no excuse to pay me tons of money. I love making money from these idiots. Don't get me wrong. It's the best. Cause I love holding police accountable. Um, even though they're trying to do right by the world by getting uh, people that are doing wrong off the street, if you're not drunk and you get hammered with one of these things, it's going to cost you a year of your life and at least five to 10 grand. And I mean, if you're close, and is that worth it? If you could have just known up front what you had to do in order to avoid getting cuffed? No. So honestly, guys, it's just as easy as one, two, three, four, five. Shut the fuck up. Say no to everything. No field sobriety test. Refuse the warrant or blood breath test. If you're forced to take a blood or breath test, take a breath test. And bonus, if all if you forget all of these things, call a law dog. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Before your ALR. Because I've had cases, you know, and that's the thing is like, if you're fucking wasted, I, I'm not going to be able to shell, sell shit on a stick. You know, we're going to be making a deal. Okay. And like uh, 95% of my DWI cases aren't even like triable because of how bad they are. Okay. I get that five. I get, I get one guy comes in. He's like, dude, I did great. I didn't do anything. And I'm like, yes, thank you. <laughs> because every time they're like, Oh, I took the test. I told him I was drunk. And I'm like, you idiot. If you do that, <laughs> you lost. Like you can't beat a case when you give them all the evidence against you. And, uh, unfortunately it's just, you're drunk and you don't know any better. That's it. So, um, this is just an educational thing, man. I just wanted to help people. And I'm not, I'm not trying to help people drive drunk or give them a fucking get out of jail free card. I'm just stating that you need to know your rights under the law as far as police interactions go. And if, if you're, if you've had a couple of drinks and you, and you're not drunk and you're not even like, like buzzed, like it, and it's not illegal to drive drunk. I mean, it's not advisable to have a drink and get behind the wheel of a car, but it's also not illegal right now. I mean, it's, uh, it's 0 0.08. That is the, or the, if you lack your physical or mental faculties and that's the broad strokes fucking ones they'll get you on once you start answering their questions. Love okay. it, bro. Yep. Yeah. What are we at? Um, over an hour. Oh, fuck dude. Um, let's just wrap it up then. Yeah. Cool. Okay. All right, guys. Well, I, th I think that was, that's pretty much going to do it for us today. I, uh, I thought that that would be a good kind of informational, um, just an informational week straight up where I kind of went into how they like, break down, how a DWI investigation goes. Um, the re we need to throw in the clip of the Reno 911 guy <laughs> where, he's, where he starts dancing <laughs> to prove that he isn't drunk. Have you seen that? I there was I, I I don't I haven't seen that one, but there was one where the dude was like, "Dude, I'm actually uh, I'm a I'm a performer." He he fucking pulled out pins and he started juggling. 
to prove that he was it. Uh, <laughs> Dude, if you want to prove that you're not drunk, keep some juggling balls in your car. Yeah, okay? yeah. Learn juggling. <laughs> That's simple. Learn juggling, okay? <laughs> juggle your life, but also juggle balls. Especially when you're drunk. Keep them in your car. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, literally, guys, take an Uber. Take a Lyft. Save your money, honestly, because if you take all that money and you've had 10 drinks and then you divide it by 10 grand, it's $1,000 a drink. Uh, not really worth it. And I, as much as I love giving a cost more money to make me more money, you know, I, it's just simply the fact that you don't need to do it. And, and that's the number one lesson out of all this is don't fucking drive drunk. Don't put your life at risk. Don't put other people's lives at risk. You're being a selfish dickhead. And that's coming from a selfish dickhead that was a selfish dickhead once. And, uh, especially in this regard, like it was a boneheaded decision and 99% of people who get DWIs are, are put the, the fact that they get arrested and are traumatized with that experience. Looking at your boy here, it'll never make you get behind the wheel drunk again. I never ever got behind the wheel after a sip of alcohol the day after I got arrested for DWI. And, uh, and even though I'm two years sober now, I don't have to worry about it at all. It's like, um, it'll, it'll put the fear of God in you, man. Uh, once you, once you share a cell with a guy who is asking for advice about how to kill his girlfriend, once he gets out of jail, it really terrified me. <laughs> I thought he was like a jailhouse snitch and they were trying to get me on something. I mean, I was in jail and it was like, Hey, yo, bro, uh, I'm about to fucking go murder my girl when I get out of here. And I was like, Oh, I just want to go home. <laughs> I don't belong here. And like, I mean, it's not the place you want to be, okay? Especially a royal county. <laughs> um, you know, and it's just like, it sucks. It's not worth going to jail. And 99% of the people that get DWIs are good people. And, you know, the rich ones are the guys that hire Mark, right? The professionals, your accountants, your lawyers, your doctors. Those are the guys that hire Mark because they can afford him. And he's the one, and like, that's honestly what it comes down to is your lawyer, their knowledge of the law, their knowledge of the officer's training. Um, anyone that doesn't have a basic understanding of what I just went through should not be practicing DWI law. And, uh, you know, I think it's, if you're going to go hire a DWI lawyer, you, you need to ask them, how many cases have you tried? How many, uh, cases have you won? How many cases have you lost? Uh, how many DWIs specifically have you had? Have you dealt with? I mean, these are all very good questions you need to ask your lawyer. And um, you need to ask multiple. I always tell people, if you get arrested for something, you should call at least three lawyers because you need to get three different quotes and you need to get three different vibes. Uh, and, because I mean, you're putting your life in their hands. You need to have some options, right? So unless you're getting a referral from a family friend or, or a family member or whatever that's saying like, you need to hire this guy. I mean, do your own due diligence um, and, and vet your lawyers guys, because half of them are just money grubbers looking to make a quick 5,000 and plead your case. And that's it. And like, you've got to be wary of that because they'll tell you, Oh no, 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 we're going to fight for you. But then they fucking never set it for trial because you never asked them if they've actually tried a case before. So it's imperative that you do your own due diligence on your own lawyers as much as we do our own due diligence on the police officers. But yeah, guys, I think that's where we're going to wrap up today. And uh, please join us again next week. We will be back with hopefully our second interview, um, White Collar Crime, baby. That's going to be a fun one. What do you think? I'm excited.
<laughs> me too brother all right y'all well please like like rate like rate review subscribe hey dude i listened back we we invented a word uh i think was it last episode the no the notarizer Odorizer. Odor- yeah i don't remember notarize <laughs> <laughs> yeah please like rate subscribe like rate subscribe review and uh check out our website txlawdog.com email us hello at txlawdog.com we'll see y'all next week boys and girls Thanks you. Love y'all.